I'm Stephen Tracy, and this is the Ruling Elder podcast of the Committee on Christian Education of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. This is a podcast designed to assist in the education, training, and encouragement of ruling elders in their work. Ruling elders are one of God's gifts to His Church. I'm happy to be joined on today's Ruling Elder podcast by the three other members of the team. With me here at the offices are Danny Ollinger, General Secretary of the Committee on Christian Education. Welcome, Danny. Thank you, Stephen. And also Greg Reynolds. Welcome, Greg. It's a privilege to uh, talk to you, Stephen, very much as a friend and a colleague. And joining us from a distance and with some savvy use of media is Mike Shields, businessman, entrepreneur, and a ruling elder at Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church, an OPC congregation in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Welcome to Mike, too. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah, wonderful. I should explain that the Committee on Christian Education has entrusted the four of us with the production of this podcast. You heard in the last podcast from Dr. Craig Troxell just exactly what was on his mind regarding ruling elders and why he thought it would be a good idea to do this, and we thought it would be a good idea for us as a team to share with you our sense of what we hope to do in this podcast. Before I go any further, I wanted to ask each one of you to share your first memories of a ruling elder. Were you a child or were you grown up before you met this particular Presbyterian phenomena of the, the ruling elder? <laughs> Hopefully, all your memories are good, but I wonder, is there a particular ruling elder in your early Christian life who had an impact on you? And if so, what was that impact? Yes, um, I was raised in a liberal congregational church, and so there were no ruling elders, and it was liberal anyway, so it would not have mattered. And so my first encounter with a serious ruling elder was in 1976 when I matriculated at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, Tony Van Brockel, who was a businessman and a ruling elder at Blue Bell, um, made a great impact in my life. Uh, Tony was someone who was theologically very astute. He was um, loved the doctrine of the sovereignty of God but really paid attention to the people in his congregation. On Sunday uh, evenings, we would often go to his house, and he and Hissy would um, would just they'd serve food to us, and we sometimes they would play chess, and and we just had a great time. And uh, always, of course, talking uh, theology and about the church and the importance of uh, public worship and the means of grace. Um, also, Tony uh, Midway, uh, I was. Uh, on the session also with uh, John Frame was on the session and played the organ. So it was, it was a heady bunch, to say the least. Jim Payton was the pastor at the time, a church historian. And um, about midway in my seminary life, I ran out of money. And I said, I've got to take a year off and go back into architecture and save up enough to finish the MDiv. And Tony Van Rockel said, no, I will pay for everything which I was astonished, even thinking about it, is kind of astonishing. And so um, Tony is with the Lord now. He was kind of a, a spiritual father. And then there was another man that made a deep impression. By the time I got to um, into the ministry, actually it was during an internship uh, at Franklin Square on Long Island, uh, Herb Meather, John's father was uh, the clerk of session and an elder, and I went to many general assemblies with him, and uh, he was just a, a model of um, just quiet reverence. 
He was brilliant, I think, as a professor and a thinker, um, just a very thoughtful and a very kind man, and a man that also taught me how important good order in the church was. But along with all of that, he was someone that paid deep attention to the lives of people in the congregation. So these two men, in combination, made wonderful examples for me, not only to imitate as a minister, but also to um when I thought about the kinds of men that I wanted to see uh, serve with me on a session. Um, so I did not grow up in the in the Presbyterian Church. Joined the uh, Grace Presbyterian Church in Columbus, OPC congregation there, in the late 1980s. And there I met really <laughs> still the paradigm for ruling elders uh, in my, you know, what I, I, when I think of a ruling elder and what a ruling elder should be, uh, Bill Shaw and Joe Stafford were the two ruling elders there that just meant so much uh, in regard to introducing me to the Reformed faith and Presbyterianism. Uh, I went through the uh, new members class uh, at their homes. Um, they would always talk to me after services, hospitality. They would invite me over. And then as I started uh, to make progress towards the ministry, coming under care of the Presbytery, I'd start to see them in action at the presbytery level, how faithful they were. Um, they were just they were just so solid and faithful and patient. I think patient more than anything else with a young whippersnapper like me, uh, had all these, you know, strong ideas and they would just be so patient and listen and then help guide and uh um so that 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 made a tremendous uh, impact upon me and then once I became ordained, uh, I've been able to, uh, uh, for many decades, be in the, the same presbytery as both of them and, and engage with them on different levels in regard to presbytery work. And my esteem uh, continues to grow uh, for those two. So they're sort of like the standard that, that I, I see for the ruling elder. Well, uh um, the ruling elders of the first church that I was a member of, Presbyterian Church, were all uh, a great uh, men, and uh, they set a very good example of what a, a husband was and a ruling elder was. Uh, one of the men was uh, Quaddy Jones. He was a uh, uh, owned the large Ford dealership in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, I remember going over to his house, and he was always just gracious and. Uh, and uh, the other one was uh, uh, John Owen, and he owned the, the Christian bookstore in town. He went on to seminary and became the pastor there in Charleston at Church Creek for a long time. And But both of those two men, I remember being invited in their house, that they're hospitable. I remember uh, being challenged by them in Sunday school. I was always an academic person, and so I loved classes that challenged you, made you think. And uh, so those two men I remember particularly. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. For myself, I, I can remember as a small boy of, of five or six years old when I was growing up in Ireland, um, seeing uh, ruling elders at the communion table when there was a communion service, and watching those men take the bread and the cup uh, around the congregation. Just, I was deeply impressed by the joyful solemnity of it all. But the most vivid memories I have of encountering ruling elders was when I was around. 13 or 14 years of age, and I can hear the, the ruling elders praying in the, the prayer meeting. Um, their prayers were 
deeply encouraging. They were full of scripture. They would remind God of, of what he'd said. And their prayers were full of entreaty. They'd call on God to, to build his church, to bless the, the preaching of the word, to add souls to the church. They, they pleaded with God to build up the church in holiness and, and in happiness. And in many ways, I came away thinking of, of ruling elders as being like King David's mighty man, <laughs> which I, I still hold that view that that's what ruling elders are like, King David's mighty man, loyal, good, hardworking, um, concerned for the kingdom. They, they, they're fighting through the Philistines to get that drink of water to bring back. <laughs> that kind of love and yeah. that kind of loyalty. And I think I, I found the same when I, too, had a, an interest in the ministry of the Word, that the ruling elders kindly began to take a little bit more interest in me, and they, they just very gently encouraged me. Many of those men have passed into the presence of the Lord Jesus, but their memory is precious to me, and their work was precious, too, and precious in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all agreed here on the importance of ruling elders in the life of a congregation. That's a, a given biblical principle for us. I, I wondered, though, do differing circumstances and different people emphasize the importance of that work in, in different ways? In what way do each of you think that ruling elders are important for the life of a congregation? I have uh, been privileged for many years to... Uh be the intern director uh, of the OPC. And so I get to uh, interact with a lot of young men aspiring to the gospel ministry. And it also, these young men then end up taking uh, calls. Oftentimes they get their start in congregations that might be a little smaller than other congregations. And I really have come to see just the importance, no matter what the size of the congregation, if, if you don't have faithful ruling elders, you're really in trouble because uh, humanly speaking, you'll you'll start to to really, I think, uh, think in terms of what you need to do and and looking to your own strength. And when well, you should be looking to Christ totally, but when you have that faithful ruling elder there, you know it's you're you're not uh, by yourself. You know, in the governing in the life of the church, you have someone there that not only can assist you during the week, but uh, will pray for you, and uh, it's going to be faithful, and it's going to be there through thick and thin. So I've come to see that this the utter importance of the ruling elder. I even have a theory about mission works and, and things like that, uh, that almost as if the whether they're going to make it or not really is a large part, upon, of course, upon the preaching of the Word, but if you also have ruling elders who care for the flock— uh, because one man just can't do it himself. And that's the beauty, again, of Presbyterianism, in which you have this, this uniting of the minister who is uh, ordained and installed by the presbytery, and yet you have the ruling elder who is uh, brought up uh, through the local congregation, and that's where his ordination and installation takes place, so that both are represented, and then they come together uh, in this beautiful marriage uh, to help govern the church. So I think uh, in that regard, uh, I, I, can't, I can't imagine Presbyterianism without faithful ruling elders. Uh, I, I just think they're uh, the heart and soul of, of the life of the church. 
I realized that as one man, um, I came up with some really dumb ideas over the, over time, <laughs> and um, and also some ideas that weren't completely well thought out, or ideas that were pretty good but needed a lot of refinement. The collegiate deliberation on things, principles, and how to deal with different problems that come up in a in a congregation was supremely important to me. And so to have that deliberation with different men and take their wisdom and gifts coming together and making decisions together, and I always sought to have us come to a decision that would um, be that we all really agreed on and could support, even if it wasn't perfect uh, for everyone. And I think that was important for the congregation to see that the session is unified and also takes a lot of time uh, to think things through, and that the minister doesn't see himself as a kind of dictator uh, with spiritual authorization. So I have um, I've enjoyed working with a different variety of men as well. Um, I had one man whose name I won't mention because he's still an active elder and a very good friend, who when I trained him as we were planting the church in Manchester, had a question for me. He said, you know, you and the other elder that I won't mention are always talking about theology, and you're reading books and articles, and I'm really not quite that way, though I understand and uphold uh, the whole of our confessional standards to which I will take a vow, but I just wonder if you really want me to be on the session. And so I said to him, um, I want, absolutely believe you have the gifts of an elder because you, are, you are, have discernment about people that will add a very important dimension to our session. And it has over the years. The other elder was gone, the, the fellow theologian, and, uh, and this elder has proved to be a wonderfully discerning person. And as I would watch him um, deal with people who would come to the session with a problem and sometimes come to the session with a serious complaint against our leadership, I watched him very carefully and gently analyze, and he would question people kind of like a really good lawyer getting things out of him and then or her and so that we could all discuss them and hopefully be of real help to that person. So I think the combination of gifts um, on a session is very important and differences are, are very important. And I think that when you have um, a session that has a number of different gifts, it will be a good working session. The other thing is that um, I think it's very important when trouble comes, if a session is united, it's like the the uh, officers on a bridge on a ship in a great storm, they, you will weather the storm. But if the session has dissent within it and friction, it will be a grave problem, and I've seen uh, churches split as a result. I think praying, that enjoying watching men pray for different people, and some elders would connect with different people more than others. And so when we would divide up into session um, groups that each elder would have a certain portion of the congregation to watch over, I would always invite them to kind of pick and choose. I would come up with a list, and then they'd say, well, you know, I think so-and-so would be better at dealing with this particular person, and I have a relationship with this other person that's on his list. Why don't we switch those? And that kind of pastoral care to me was one of the great benefits 
of um, good elders. Also, they're kind of the eyes and ears of a pastor. They can see things and sense things that the pastor just doesn't have the ability to or even the, the connections to. And those are very important perceptions that help uh, a minister be a better preacher and a better fellow pastor with his elders. Well, I think ruling elders are are indispensable. I, it's clear to me that God intended for churches to be run by a plurality of men, and God gives different gifts to different men. I've served with a lot of different pastors and other ruling elders, and all of them had strengths and weaknesses, and and a good session has men that have strengths and weaknesses, and so uh, by by you know, coming alongside one another and and knowing what my weaknesses are, what my strengths are, and what my uh, fellow elders' strengths and weaknesses are, you can be stronger as a whole than than the sum of the parts. And uh, and so, um, you know, I've been a professor. I've done a lot of teaching. One of my strengths is teaching classroom type settings. Uh, one of our other ruling elders here, that's not his strength. But he has lots of other good strengths that are weaknesses of mine, and so um, I'm I'm busy. I have a hard time getting to the hospital and things like that. He's a doctor. He he is he, he's you know happy to go to the hospitals. And it's not that I don't want to. It's just how do you find time? I travel a lot for work, and so that to me is the the beauty of of the rule by elders is that you have a group of men who all have strengths and weaknesses and can support one another to accomplish everything that needs to be done. Right, right. Uh, Danny, would you tell us what's the Christian education's purpose or the intention that is uh, behind this podcast? The, we put it together for the committee, and the committee has approved that we should do this podcast. The reasons they give is for us to assist in the education, training, and encouragement of ruling elders in the discharge of the duties of their office, both individually and collectively. Could you share your own thoughts on why this is important? Yeah, I'd be happy to. We try have tried for many years to figure out how to help ruling elders in the carrying out of their office and provide resources for them. We've tried conferences, we've tried uh, materials, um, but we came to the conclusion that ruling elders are, are so busy. They have their daily life, they work, work at their jobs, they have their families, but they also are serving the church. And the question became, you know, in regard to the use of their time, um, how can we help them? And we thought, hey, you know, let's pr produce a podcast they can listen when they're driving in their car or working uh, in their garden, uh, and, and this would benefit, and it would not take away further from the time uh, – crunch that they're they're facing and so we we thought we'd give it a shot uh or do our best uh with it and uh so i'm excited about the potential of it uh i'm excited about those that we're going to be talking to both uh those who are ruling elders and those who work with them um, i'm excited about the potential of what we can do to help because basically we know that not every idea we put forth uh everyone will come to the same conclusion, but we want to provide resources and spur on thought in regard to how we can better serve. And maybe there's a five-minute segment in the podcast that really hits home, and that's what you remember from it. So we just want to do our best to try to 
help in, in, in providing a resource for ruling elders? The thing that excited me about getting the Ruling Elder podcast started, and even before that, the committee that we had in Christian education was, I went through a situation here where our pastor, and he was a beloved man, and uh, he left the faith. And um, it was really hard for people in the church to going through that, to see your pastor now saying he's an atheist and you know, questioning the things that he taught. And, uh, um, and so, and I, and I didn't know where to turn. And I thought I got to find answers to help. In God's grace, we, we, as the session, the remaining men after he left, were able to find the right things to say, to keep the church together. And uh, we have a great pastor now and we're healthy and doing well. But when you're going through a trial like that, it's like, okay, I don't know what to do about this. I've never heard of this happening before. And, uh, and so, um, but even, you know, our presbytery has uh, debates on various issues and, um, and where do I go to get resources on, on how to take a stand on issue X, whatever it is. Um, uh, And, and then, you know, I've been an elder a long time, but, you know, talking to people, you know, gee, I'm just be, becoming a ruling elder. I've been asked to teach the adult Sunday school class, and I really don't know how to do that. One of the things that we hope to do in the podcast as well is not simply to talk, but also to provide a list of resources um, to follow up on each podcast. So there, there'll be a reading list with links to various things. So that's a good thing. Thank you. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about doing it in a podcast, as I've said before, is that the uh, that the young men, I have a business and all the men that work for me are in their twenties uh, and thirties and they don't read like I did when in my twenties and thirties, they listen to podcasts. And so I think putting something in a format that will reach them is important. Thank you. Well, Greg, Danny, and Mike, thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you all very much for joining us on today's podcast. The next podcast, Lord willing, we'll talk to uh, ruling elders who've been involved in teaching adult Sunday school. Every blessing in the Lord Jesus. <laughs>